Welcome to The Bolt Zone. This is a competitive magic podcast for the average spike, co-hosted by me, Cody DuBose, and the former PT champion and magic world champion, Nathan Stoyer. We're bringing you the best tips, tricks, and strategies to improve your game and be a better player. And unfortunately, today, Nathan isn't able to make it since he is heading out to Eternal Weekend. So it is just me and I'm flying solo, but we uh, have had a, a busy few weeks and didn't want to delay the podcast any longer. Wanted to get some content out there for you guys. So today, but we're going to briefly touch on the recent ban announcement, which I'm sure everyone has heard about by now. We're going to kind of explore the impact on the formats we cover, namely Pioneer and Modern, and especially how it's shaping the picture of the Pioneer metagame with RC Atlanta coming right around the corner. I've personally been doing a lot of testing for that. I know Nathan has as well. So we're going to talk about how the bands are impacting the format just ahead of the RC. And then the bulk of the episode today is actually going to be a sort of audio deck guide. Um, if you guys have listened to Competitive Magic with the Carnies podcast with uh, Andrea Mangucci, Javier Dominguez, and Anthony Lee. Uh, Javier, who we had on the show a few months ago, did something similar with Rakdos Midrange, sort of just, you know, breaking down the deck, looking at some of the cards, the different choices of, of what you can play, and exploring an archetype, both from a, a big picture level and from sort of a closer in view. So, Boros Convoke for me is what I am planning on playing in Atlanta. I've been testing a ton with this deck. I've, I've played about 200 games with it over the last month or so and have had a lot of success with it. So I'm, I'm excited to, to play this deck next weekend and am excited today to share some of my thoughts on the deck, some of my thoughts on you know constructing the deck and, and playing through different matchups. And hopefully some of you out there will find this helpful. So uh, if you are planning to play against boros convoke at the rc you can go ahead and just tune out now and uh ignore everything i'm about to say no but in all seriousness hopefully this is is helpful for for anyone out there that's still playing pioneer and wants to get a, a little deeper into this archetype but before we dive into the content for today's episode I want to give a quick shout out to everyone who's taken the time to listen and support the show. Both Nathan and I really appreciate all the feedback and support. Um, we posted on Twitter last week, but the Spotify wrapped for our show came out uh, recently, and it's been really incredible to see how much you know growth and support we've had for the short time we've been around. You know, listeners from like fifty plus countries. We've had tens of thousands of listens to to our episodes and it's it's really been great and we appreciate everything you guys do to support the show uh, so we have no new patrons this week but do want to thank all those who have kept up their support i know with the holidays coming around things can get a little tight but we we appreciate you helping keep the lights on here at the bolt zone if you are listening and you find value in the episodes and the content we're putting out, you can subscribe to the Patreon. There's lots of tiers. There's stuff to fit any budget. And um, we'll leave a link to the Patreon in the show notes. And then we also have some merch over at boltthebirdmtg.com slash shop. We've had a lot of requests for merch over the past few months and are happy to, to finally have that out in the wild. So we, we would love to see you wearing it. The merch makes great holiday gifts, so maybe consider that as well. And I'll be wearing some of our merch down in Atlanta. We're also going to have some stuff to give away, which we'll talk about at the end of the episode. But yeah, so if, if you want to rep the brand, rep the podcast, you can do that with merch over at boltthebirdmtg.com slash shop. Okay, so first I want to just touch on the band announcement that we had on Monday. Unlike the one before that, we had some some impactful changes this time around. And for both Pioneer and Modern, the things that were banned and unbanned are going to have a significant impact on how these formats look and play moving forward. So I think it's worth acknowledging them. I don't have any belief that this podcast is going to be the first time you're hearing about these bans. And I'm sure that at this point, you've probably um, heard plenty of discourse, whether it's online or in person about these bands or have thought about them. You know, Wizards gave us a week to sort of 
mulled these over by sort of hinting at it in their announcement of the announcement and nothing was particularly surprising here. So we're just going to touch on the bands real quick because I think it's important to set the stage, not only for the the discussion of Boros Convoke today, but also talking about, you know, Pioneer and Modern moving forward over the next couple months. So first up in Pioneer, we had a really, really quick ban of Geological Appraiser, which is the new Discover creature from Lost Caverns of Ixalan. And, you know, almost immediately after the set came out, this card spawned a whole new archetype that can win with a one card combo on turn three. And as Wizards mentioned, this is not healthy for the format. This is not really something anyone wants to play against. There were a ton of copies of this deck and the deck featuring the new Quintorius Planeswalker at some of the RCs where it was legal. And um, Wizards definitely shut that down by banning it. So interestingly, they did not ban Quint. So that version of the deck still exists, although the results that we've seen so far from it are you know poor at best and uh definitely can't recommend you know playing that deck at least in its current iteration you know leaving it on the table the discover mechanic has obviously shown that it's it's quite powerful and can be broken so leaving that one sort of out there is interesting it is still fragile and easy to disrupt i think it's important that you know it's at least a turn if not two turns slower than the appraiser combo is and that gives other decks you know some more flexibility to set up their game plans and be able to attack it while also you know being able to interact with the combo so you know personally i kind of wish they would have just gotten rid of both of them because it is still annoying to play against and uh, annoying to have in the format but at the end of the day, it's whatever. I don't really anticipate, especially in a competitive world, coming up against this deck too much or or it seeing a lot of success. So uh, Appraiser's gone. It, it didn't take long. It took about as long as it took for Omnath to get banned. So that's interesting because clearly it's not, not at all on the same power level, but in all, a good ban for the reasons that they stated. So goodbye, Appraiser. Uh, and Goodbye to Karn the Great Creator as well in Pioneer. Personally, I am super not sad to see this card go. I really dislike the play pattern that Karn encourages and and basically removing sideboarding from the game and just having access to whatever you need in game one, I don't think is, is how magic is supposed to be played. So I am quite excited to see this card go. Um, I do think that it's obviously a big hit to Mono Green, though not as detrimental as something like the appraiser ban which kind of nukes that whole archetype you know mono green will have a chance now in the coming months to sort of take a step back and rethink its identity you know without karn it loses that ability to use all of its mana to just go off in one turn and and win the game on the spot but that being said the archetype does still have access to the the combination of, of Nykthos and Kiora, which you know allows you to generate a ton of mana very very quickly. And Storm the Festival is still there. Cavalier Thorns is still there. So there's a lot of very impactful pieces still available to this archetype. And I think that it's not it's not going to go away in the future. This is obviously again uh, a big nerf for it, and it's going to have to to sort of rethink things. But I would not be surprised to to see green retooled and putting up successful results in the future. I do think it's going to take some time to get there because this is not like a simple pivot. You know, first of all, you have to figure out a whole sideboard, you know, so that's that's going to be one challenge. And then also just figuring out, you know, is ramping into a bunch of mana and filling the battlefield with big creatures enough in this pioneer format where things move very quickly you have combos that that don't care about the battlefield like lotus field you have decks like blue white that can can control the battlefield pretty easily and a lot of decks that also can just go really fast and and get under it so it'll be interesting to see where green goes um i do think there's a future for it you know we've already seen some lists that are having some success but there's definitely some work to be done for the archetype. But of all of the announcements 
uh, made on Monday for Pioneer, definitely the biggest news was the unbanning of Smuggler's Copter, the looter scooter. And I think opinions are pretty split on how we feel about having this one back. Um, there's there's definitely quite a few people who are are happy that it's back and and then there's the other camp who's who's pretty mad that it got unbanned. So again, though, pretty interesting to see how this card is going to impact the metagame. It's very different than the two cards that just got banned in that, you know, on its own, Copter is not an unfair card. You know, it it is doing combat it's blocking it's attacking it's it is helping you sort through your cards and sort of filter your hand but at its core you know it's it's not a a broken combo or or something that's totally unfair that the opponent has to be ready to deal with using tools that they aren't using already for the other axes of this format so copter slots nicely into a lot of decks and Obviously, there's a lot of people exploring with the card right now, trying to to figure out where it's going to fit best. You know, at first glance, it's been a couple of days since the ban announcement now. And to me personally, it looks like, you know, Ragto Sacrifice is a deck that's going to gain a ton from this, being able to, you know, g- gain some value out of your your cat or um, your unlucky witness creatures that, that normally kind of just sit around and get value in other ways. Having Copter around gives you a way to push through extra damage, especially, you know, in the air is really nice, but but just using those bodies to be more aggressive and then still be able to get the value out of them, sacking them to Oven or Deadly Dispute or whatever after they've attacked for three with haste, the turn they come down essentially is is very impactful. And I think the ability to you know, sort through cards and find what you need in that deck is is also crucial because there's a, a huge gap in the games where you have Mayhem Devil on board and you don't. So um, Copter is definitely very big there. And then another deck that we haven't seen quite as much of recently that I think is going to benefit a lot is Gruel Vehicles. We know that Copter pairs quite nicely with Elves because typically in the late game, you know, drawing an Elf is pretty bad. You don't really want that to happen. Um, but with Copter, it gives you some some additional flexibility where drawing an Elf isn't the end of the world if you have a Copter down because it's actually, you know, a 3-3 flyer with haste and also allows you to sort of filter out those those extra Elves that you have in hand and you, you want to find something more impactful in the late game. So it's really good there. I'm interested to see how it sort of slots into that archetype. And then we've seen people basically exploring Copter in, you know, almost every archetype. It makes a lot more sense in some than others. Um, the one we're talking about today in detail is Convoke. Um, I think opinions are kind of mixed on whether Copter belongs in Convoke or not. And, and we'll sort of break that down as we get into the that portion of the episode. But it's probably, you know, with this unbanned worth trying copter about anywhere it can fit in and anywhere that you, you know, are going to have creatures on board that can crew it. That does not mean that it belongs in those decks permanently, but the format is definitely about to enter a, a big period of adjustment and evolution. So I think testing things out and doing due diligence is is going to be important so those are the unbans for pioneer and, uh, and the bans for pioneer um, but briefly just to touch on modern so we had two bans in modern no unbans this time around the first one is fury and the second one is up the beanstalk so both of those cards now banned in modern they are going to significantly shake up the format and in effect two of the most popular decks in the format obviously fury is a big hit for scam you know as someone who's played this archetype a lot you know took down an rcq with it as has placed in top eight to several events with scam fury is certainly one of the most important cards in the deck and losing it is going to force scam to also sort of reevaluate and you know i'm not sure that this deck is able to stick around without scam there's there's really a big opportunity cost to playing 
that many undying effects when when grief is the only creature that it's just it doesn't make sense to to do that anymore so without fury you know some options would be pivoting to black white to kind of go with an ephemerate package in solitude but you know that deck's been explored quite a bit and has not really had great results so leaving grief in the format definitely leaves the door open for the whole you know scam archetype to maybe evolve and stick around in in a new fashion or form but there's definitely not a guarantee and i think at least in the short term the fury ban is certainly going to decrease the stock of this deck and its popularity and yeah you know the mid-range strategy kind of built into it is fine when you have you know the the support and the backup of being able to double thought seize on turn one or you know deal eight damage to your opponent's creatures for one mana so losing that second aspect and only having grief to rely on as sort of your unfair plan i i don't think it's the job done in modern right now so i think there, there's definitely going to be more powerful options to look towards now that fury's gone and then on the other side of it we have up the beanstalk band and obviously this has been revolutionary for the four color archetypes over the last few months but i think it's also worth noting you know fury's impact in those decks and i think both of these changes are going to significantly reshape the way that the four color deck needs to be built. It could probably go in two ways. You know, one leans into more like blue white colors and just sort of splashes where needed. Um, you know, things like counter spells, so- uh, subtleties going heavier in on some of the like the time warp effects and, and sweepers and that sort of thing. And then obviously there's the other version too that we saw for quite a while before up the beanstalk. And, you know, that includes cards like, you know, Renin six and lightning bolt, and obviously can fall back on the one ring as, as a card advantage engine, but, you know, losing both beanstalk and fury as well as scam having its meta share sort of slashed are, are really, really punishing for, for the four color archetype. So I think again, in the short term, this deck definitely is going to lose a lot of its popularity. It's losing one of its really good matchups. It's losing two of its best cards. It's losing its identity, really. And, you know, both of these, both Fury and Beans, are such important ways for the deck to catch up and stay level with some of the faster decks in the format. So, losing both of those really hurts and i'm just not i'm just not sure how it's able to continue competing in the current version of modern but one other thing is we've seen this deck be very resilient and it'll be interesting to see how it evolves because there's um, plenty of players who love this archetype and and will continue to to play it and, and tune it so four color certainly is not dead but but this is a big speed bump for it so we will see what happens in the coming months uh, but that, that's all we're, all the time we're going to spend on the ban announcements. Again, these have been sort of discussed at length over the past week or two. And now all that's left is to sort of get out there and innovate and see what happens in these formats. There's a lot of room at this point to explore and uh, metagame for a new share of decks that are, are going to rise to the top and i am i'm very excited to pursue that in both modern and pioneer before we get into our discussion of boros convoke for today i want to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by boogie board the ultimate lcd life pad boogie board's patented reusable writing surface allows you to track life totals and jot down quick notes during casual or competitive play never worry about ruining a notebook in your bag or running out of paper mid-game again after taking down your opponent just press the button to clear and you're ready to start over boogie board's best-selling jot tablet offers plenty of writing surface while the jot pocket is perfect for tighter playing spaces boogie board is available at friendly local game stores across the country and at major retailers you can learn more at myboogieboard.com games that's my boogie board.com slash games and if anyone listening is going to be at the rc in atlanta next weekend i will have a couple of 
both the bird branded boogie boards with me. So uh, we'll be giving those out throughout the weekend. So be sure to, to come up and say hi and uh, tell us what you like about the show. And if we have uh, some of those boogie boards left, we'll be happy to get you on. All right. So let's talk about Boros Convoke. This is one of the first decks that I sort of picked up when I started testing for Atlanta. I, in general, do not love Pioneer, but I found this archetype pretty appealing, um, especially coming off of of Modern Season and, and playing a lot of Scam. I valued the really fast starts it can have that that sort of just overpower the opponent out of nowhere and, and don't give them a chance to catch up. That's something that was really appealing to me. And then we also recently got um, Warden of the Inner Sky, which is is such a huge upgrade for this deck that has, has in my opinion, really cemented its status as, as one of the top decks in Pioneer. But basically at a broader level, why am I playing Convoke? Why should you play Convoke? I think ultimately it boils down to Convoke is not the most broken thing you can be doing in the Pioneer format, especially, you know, when you have things like Lotus Field running around the really like consistent strategies in things like Rakdos midrange. But that being said, I do think that Convoke is the most broken thing that you can be doing in the format consistently with that word consistent being the key. There are so many ways to get out to a fast start, develop a wide board and you know swing with so much power early on in the game that the opponent just can't deal with. Again, using the tools that are currently being played to deal with other decks in the format. And if you want to beat this deck, there are certainly plenty of ways to do it, but you have to really dedicate a lot of cards to doing that. And a lot of those cards just simply don't line up well against what other cards in the format are doing. So I think that's one of the big advantages of Convoke, even as a known quantity, especially in game one, you have the potential to just steal so many games out of nowhere. and. You know, it it might kind of seem like shaky because you're playing so many bad cards to try and set it up. But this deck is really quite consistent, especially once you learn how to mulligan correctly with it. So something that Wizard said in their uh, their talks about appraiser is that, you know, turn three kills in the format are no fun. And on one hand, yes, that's true. And, you know, appraiser is able to do that, you know, by just slamming one card down. But. Convoke is also quite capable of turn three kills. Turn four kills are more popular, but but it can go as fast as turn three. And I think that's pretty interesting that, you know, Appraiser just got banned for, for that sort of speed. And Convoke, although it does take some setup, can can be just as fast. So so that's pretty interesting to me. And then I think this deck just also has a really strong game plan into the field and treat it like like a combo deck more than an aggro deck is what I would say, because there's a lot of times where you're able to, you know, just steal game one basically. And then post sideboard, you have a lot of ways to sort of either protect your plan or present one or two pieces of key interaction or disruption to your opponent's plan. That's going to let you get through in uh, and, and be able to take the match. So there's a lot of play to this deck, and uh, it's a lot more nuanced, I think, than it looks on the surface. So let's talk about some of the key cards in the deck and their role in the archetype. So first up, we'll talk about the eight five-mana Convokers. Um, and so you have four copies of Venerated Loxodon, which, if you're not familiar, lets you um, convoke with your creatures, and then each creature that convoked it gets a uh, plus one plus one counter when it enters the battlefield. So this is a great way to buff your army of small tokens and be able to swing for a ton of damage early on. And in the blind, you know, or in game one against a lot of strategies, this is is probably the best thing you can be doing. But Knight Errant of Eos should also not be overlooked because this one lets you, again, convoke with your creatures. And then when it enters the battlefield, you look at the top six cards of your library and you get to reveal up to two creature cards where their mana value is X or less and X is the number of creatures that convoked Knight. So something worth 
talking about is different ways to um, convoke the knight because the way this deck is built currently, at least in, in stock versions, you have Ornithopter at zero, and then you have Thraben Inspector, Valderan Epicure, Warden of the Inner Sky, and sometimes Giant Killer at one. And then you have Resolute Reinforcements, and then either Thalia or and or, I guess, uh, Regal Bunnycorn at two. You have Imodane's Recruiter at three, and then obviously both of the Convokers we just talked about at five. So there's a lot of different ways that you can get value out of Knight. Um, most commonly, you're going to want to convoke it for either five, with, convoke it with five creatures, which will give you access to any creature you see in those top six cards you'll be able to pick up. Or um, the next common, the next most common would be to try and convoke it with three creatures because that's going to give you access to every creature in the deck other than um, the five mana convoker. So, so that's pretty powerful. And you know, this card is is really what brought this archetype to life. Um, having that sort of density of eight five mana convokers is really crucial. But also, Knight gives this deck a lot of different avenues to attack with other than just being fast and, and swinging with a pumped board like Loxodon does. So, you know, against decks like Rakdos or other creature decks, you know, this, this card can give you so much value because not only in a lot of cases, do you get to put a four, four onto the battlefield for free on turn two or three? You also are refilling your hand with, you know, high impact creatures or enablers that are going to let you, spiral out of control again on the next turn so it's really powerful and gives the deck uh some ability to grind while also being pretty fast so knight is is quite important um but let's talk about next the key enabler for this deck which is gleeful demolition so this is a one mana sorcery and it says destroy target artifact and if you controlled it you create three one one red phyrexian goblin creature tokens so in this deck a lot of people have referred to gleeful demolition as black lotus or dark ritual because you essentially when you're trying to convoke this card gives you three mana and when you're able to do that on turn one or even turn two, that's extremely powerful. And that's just so much more velocity than any other deck in the format is able to achieve on turn turn one or turn two. So, you know, being able to turn an Ornithopter on turn one into three creatures and then the following turn Kinfolk out of 4-4 uh, four, four is, is insane. But then we also have both Thraben Inspector and Valderan Epicure, which when they come in are making, you know, a clue token or a blood token respectively and being able to gleeful demolition on those tokens and turn, you know, that extra bit of value that is, you know, kind of relevant, but kind of not in its, in its true form into bodies that you can then use to convoke or start pressuring your opponent with is, is huge. The fact that this card is one mana, is crazy and it's probably one of if not the best cards in the deck because it, it it's key to your most broken starts now it's only gotten better thanks to the new one drop that this deck has gotten most recently in warden of the inner sky so this is a, a one mana creature it's a one two human soldier and when it has three or more counters on it it gets flying in vigilance and it allows you to tap three untapped artifacts and or creatures you control to put a plus one plus one counter on it and scry one. And although you can only activate that ability as a sorcery, it is pretty trivial to pump this up to three or more counters and enable the flying and vigilance mode. So really this card is doing so, so much for the archetype. Let's look at it, look at it in two different ways. So on one hand, it is giving you a way to start accruing value again off of the extra cardboard that you're making. So whether that's your blood and clue tokens, whether that's your goblin tokens off of gleeful demolition, whether that's the extra human coming in off of resolute reinforcements, whether it's an ornithopter that you're playing for free, warden being able to tap these, these things that are sometimes would be meaningless otherwise tap them and the counter on it's nice but 
even nicer than that is the second part of that ability, which is scry one, because a lot of times before warden, this deck would have issues with drawing the wrong half of the deck, you know, either flooding out or, or not seeing any lands and finding the wrong creatures or drawing a, a low impact one drop when you really need a convoker. So something that Warden does really, really well is smooth out your draws by letting you scry, you know, once, twice, or even three times in a turn so you can find exactly the thing you need is is really, really impactful and it's helped this deck a lot. Um, and then on the other side, you have basically Warden as a, you know, copies 9 through 12 of your big threats because this allows you much like the convokers to turn all of these like dopey one drops and tokens into real value so obviously this creature is very weak to spot removal things like fatal push but at the same time if you're able to pump this up a few times and start swinging with it you know hitting for four in the air every turn puts the opponent on a really, really quick clock, especially when you're backing it up with an army of creatures on the ground. So Warden allows you, again, to, to pull value out of those out of those extra creatures and essentially turn some of these like one-drops into hasty threats because, say you play uh, an Epicure or a Thraben Inspector, you're able to not only tap that creature that just came in, but also tap the clue or blood token it makes. And that's two out of your three right there to get a 1-1 counter on, on Warden, and then you can swing with it straight away. So you're able to just get a lot of value out of it and a lot, a lot of value out of your other stuff. And then I think that the... Other big upgrade for this deck recently is is Imidane's Recruiter. You know, previously the deck relied on uh, Goblin Bushwhacker to be able to pump the board and push through lots of damage early. And the problem with that was turning on the ability, um, the the surge ability, by having to cast another creature or, or or another spell. So with Ornithopter in the deck, sometimes you get really lucky you cast Ornithopter and, and cast Bushwhacker for two and you've only spent two mana to get this effect. But a lot of times it's very difficult to turn on Surge while, you know, building your battlefield effectively. And, you know, you sometimes get stuck with a bush uh, Bushwhacker in hand and that feels really, really bad when if you were able to turn on Surge, you'd, you'd be able to close the game. So, Imidane's Recruiter solves that problem by, you know, no matter what, you know that you're going to pay three mana for this. It's going to come down. It's going to pump your board. And on top of that, it also pumps itself. So you get an extra point of power for that for that extra mana investment. And really, Imidane's Recruiter is just a much, much better top deck, especially the longer the game goes and the more empty your hand gets. And on top of that all, this card also has an adventure side. So spending five mana to make two two twos with vigilance is doesn't come up all the time but when it does it can be really really impactful especially against decks that you know have a lot of sweepers or are looking to control your board putting those creatures into play to help you rebuild and then immediately the next turn pumping them into three twos plus another three two on the field with imidane itself is backbreaking against a, a lot of decks so Imidane is great. It's been a big upgrade over Bushwhacker. And in my opinion, I, I played both versions of the deck. I think that there's it's a no-brainer to, to just be playing Imidanes and um, to, to move on from Bushwhacker. Next up is a very contentious point uh, among Convoke players. And that's what to be doing with the two-drop slot. Because unlike some of these other, other slots where things are very defined you know you're clearly playing the eight convokers you you should be playing four wardens you kind of have to play the three inspectors the epicures and the ornithopters so that's all very cut and dry the two drop slot is is uh, a lot more contentious so in my opinion resolute reinforcements is kind of a shoe in being able to make two bodies for two mana is really important to enable your main plan of convoking it works well with warden it's also being able to 
Bplay to instant speed is really great to help you against um, some of the more controlling matchups, help recover from sweepers. And on top of that all, you know, there's a lot of two mana spells that make two creatures, but this one being a creature itself is important because you can find it off of night. So resolute reinforcements, I, I think is, is a pretty safe lock, but you know, that still leaves us with three to five slots for two drops, depending on how you want to configure the deck. And, you know, up until the Smuggler's Copter unban recently, your three choices were really Clarion Spirit, Thalia, and more recently Regal Bunnycorn. Now, all three of these, as you can tell, offer a lot of different pros and cons for the deck and, and how you want to play. So for a while um clarion spirit was was the most popular choice being able to to get some extra value out of double spelling was cool um but at the end of the day it's pretty fragile and your ability to double spell is not consistent enough to really support that so that that card has fallen out of favor which leaves us you know with with Thalia and with Regal Bunnycorn and you know now we also have to consider Smuggler's Copter and, wh- and whether that fits but most recently if you look at a lot of the lists that have been performing well in tournaments and and going up online Thalia has sort of been adopted in the main deck as the sort of poster child for that for that two drop slot and there are a lot of advantages to having Thalia in the deck you know, taxing your opponent's removal or fables or sweepers is all is all quite good. Being able to do that, especially in game one, as sort of like a pre-sideboarded slot is is nice. Um, and then obviously Thalia being a creature can contribute to the Convoke plan, but there are also a lot of advantages to playing Bunnycorn uh, because this creature can just quickly size up out of control against um, a lot of decks and it is you know obviously vulnerable to cards like fatal push but at the same time um, it really demands an answer and against creature decks or or non-black banks decks that are not playing fatal push this is a really really difficult card to answer in the two drop slot and much like warden it gives you another avenue for extracting value out of some of the other things this deck has to play to support convoke without needing to find a convoker so for instance you can you can play a bunny corn on turn two and then you know if, if you've played a thraben inspector that's automatically plus two power if you play a resolute reinforcements that's plus two power if you gleeful demolition that's net two power and you know snowballing these things to make bunny corn bigger and bigger gets pretty trivial after a while so against decks like humans and vehicles and um, lotus you know bunny coming down and threatening to swing for eight or nine every turn is is crazy and it puts them on a really quick clock so there's definitely pros and cons to both thalia and bunny in this deck and i think ultimately there isn't a clear-cut correct decision on what to play and it comes down to two things which is is your preference and and how you want to play the deck as well as what the meta looks like and with the rc coming up next weekend i don't want to give away too much of of my thought on this because there is merit to playing playing both versions um but but i think that ultimately at the end of the day you need to take a step back and and sort of evaluate what matchups are you expecting to face the most and which is going to be more impactful okay so that is pretty much a discussion of the main deck i'm not really going to talk about the mana base too much it's pretty good to support your plan you're able to play um, some flexible lands like chef uh, dunes as another way to pump your creatures you can play i'm a big fan of um, sakenzen over den of the bugbear activating den of the bugbear is kind of iffy sometimes and i think sakenzen being able to come in untapped past turn two is really important because that third land drop especially for emadane or being able to convoke with only two creatures out is is really crucial so having den and and missing your third land drop essentially for that turn is 
painful. So I, I like Sakenzin quite a bit. Um, you can get away with playing in a Ganjo and kind of go from there. Let's go back for a moment. I mentioned talking about Smuggler's Copter. So so this is is the other two drop basically in the conversation right now. And it's not clear at this point whether Copter is supposed to be in this deck or not. And, and I'll tell you why. So there is certainly an advantage to being able to play Copter, which is an artifact. Um, so there is some implication there with Gleeful if you if in an emergency you need to. Um, but but also just being able to again extract value out of your one drops and creature tokens that aren't doing you any good on a battlefield where they can't attack or convoke. So Copter gives you a way to get value out of those and continue to, to chip through damage. And at the same time, kind of like Warden, be able to filter what cards you're seeing to, to set up stronger turns in the future. But that being said, in my time playing with Copter over the last few days since it was unbanned, I've not been very impressed. And the reason why is playing Copter helps out some of your you know, your slower draws, your draws where you're not convoking on turn two or turn three. And it helps you sort of get some more value out of out of those. But at the same time, it's not contributing to either of this deck's main plans, which are A, um, get super wide and convoke a creature or get super wide and swing with an Imidane and a pumped board. Copter coming down on two essentially you have to look at it like you're taking turn two off and in a deck where you know turns one two and three are your most important turns for getting out ahead of what your opponent wants to be doing taking turn two off really in my opinion is just not acceptable and while copter is good you know the longer the game goes on really what Convoke wants to be doing in you know 90% of its games is being on the front foot, winning as fast as possible, and not letting the game go on. And that's how you want to win. So in my opinion, and and you know, who knows, maybe weeks down the road I can uh can eat my hat on this one. But in my opinion, Copter does not belong in this deck. And really you you just can't afford to be playing cards that are not advancing your main game plans because this deck again is is so consistent at doing what it wants to do and everything you take away from that just emphasizes you know the weak points of all these like bad enablers that you have to play so copter is an interesting thing to explore again you know if atlanta wasn't coming up this weekend i'd probably continue to explore it a little deeper but after my time with the card i I'm not impressed and I'm not convinced that it's better than than what we can be doing with our other two drops in Thalia or Bunnycorn. Okay, so now we actually will talk about the sideboard. There are a ton of things you can be doing in the sideboard and it's really able to be sort of tuned to the meta and, and what you expect to face. So one nice thing about Karn being banned recently is that uh, up until now, the deck was playing three to four copies of Forge Devil in the sideboard as a way to kill the turn one elf because that was just so important to winning the green matchup. Now with Karn banned, I think elf decks, I mean, namely mono green as, as like the main elf deck are certainly going to decrease in popularity. And even if we see Gruel vehicles uh, popping up a bit, you know, killing the elf there is great, but it's not nearly as important as doing it in, in the mono green matchup. So at this point, I think it's probably safe to cut um, at least some number of Forge Devils from the sideboard, which gives us some more flexibility. But in general, what you need to be thinking about with sideboarding in Convoke is what your opponent is planning to do to attack your game plan, given that you are the aggressor. Index that have the ability to do so sweepers are obviously the number one tool against us given that we want to go super wide and and establish a wide board so things to look out for are languish path apparel hit it sugu consumes all out of the rakdos and black decks and then temporary lockdown is is concerning out of the 
white decks, um, namely blue-white control and uh, any of the fires decks. And then, you know, obviously there's always things like Supreme Verdict as well. Uh, and then Brotherhood's End is is relevant coming out of Phoenix. So sweepers are, again, the number one thing to do against Kinfolk is wreck the board with a sweeper. And then it, it can be very difficult to rebuild sometimes, um, especially if you haven't played around it correctly. So that's, some, that's one thing to be mindful of. Next thing to be mindful of is, you know, medium-sized creatures that are going to get in the way of our attacks and stall the game until the opponent is, is able to stabilize. So uh, a couple of, of big examples are something like Ledger Shredder out of Phoenix that, you know, comes down as a 1-3. It can block any of our 1-1s and it kind of lines up really well with what Kinvoke wants to do in playing multiple spells per turn, especially in the early game when possible, or doing something and then Kinvoking, which I know I said isn't super relevant with Clarion Spirit, and that's true because as the game goes on, you, you sort of lose your ability to double spell, but if the opponent is playing a Ledger Shredder on two, and then you know your next turn is your Convoke turn, letting them filter their hand, and then pump that up is is pretty painful so um stuff like ledger shredder blood tithe harvester is another one if you don't have a way to pump your own creatures past being one ones arboreal grazer things like that out of lotus and then like shark tokens coming out of a blue white so looking out for those big dumb blockers that are gonna slow you down and force you to either trade away resources to push damage through or or not be able to attack at all and then Lastly, another thing to think about is, you know, because our game plan in, in game one is very linear and there's uh, a great way to attack it with sweepers, we need to consider how we pivot in games two and three and how we sort of overcome that. So cards like Wedding Announcement are are really strong because they let us to continue to build a board and then pump our creatures later while you know generating value over multiple turns to sort of insulate over that one-time sweeper cards like get lost are are really impactful against temporary lockdown because destroying that enchantment and getting your stuff back is pretty brutal for the opponent and then get lost also serving as a way to you know, clear blockers out of the way, kill planeswalkers is is really huge. And that's been a big upgrade for the deck. And then we also have to to be mindful of ways to slow down opponents who are are trying to fight us on a on a speed axis. So something like Lotus Field, you know, they want to combo us as quickly as possible. So cards like Invasion of Gobakan are are quite good to be able to disrupt the plan there. Cards like Raydane, God of the Worthy, to tax more expensive spells is pretty good. Um, that's also good into decks with expensive sweepers. Unfortunately, it doesn't work against the three mana ones, but decks that are looking to play things like Languish and Supreme Verdict, Raydane's good there. Also, the backside of it's great against Sacrifice, sort of nullifying the, the Mayhem Devil. And then... Lastly, an interesting piece of tech that's kind of gone around, and I personally have not decided whether or not it's correct or not, is Guardian of Faith. So this three-mana creature can flash in and then phase any number of your other creatures out in response to a sweeper. You know, a lot of times this play is just game-winning because your opponent wastes their whole turn on a sweeper that does nothing, and then you get to just swing with your board and kill them the next turn usually. That's really, really good, but you have to have it on the turn they're going to do the sweeper. And so against like the three mana sweepers, it's really difficult to build up a board and have you know enough creatures to be worth protecting and then also hold up three mana for Guardian. So it's definitely better against the four mana stuff. It's definitely better when you're on the play and it definitely has that game winning potential, but a lot of times it can also be a little bit clunky. And lastly, so complementing your removal in the form of Get Lost are cards like Rending Volley. This is really, really strong against Shredder with how popular Phoenix is right now. I am, am high on having plenty of ways to deal with a Ledger Shredder and being able to do it for one mana very cheaply. 
and even at instant speed is is quite good and then you know now with with mono green starting to go down i personally am off of forge devils in favor of portable hole so this gives you the same ability to tag an elf on turn one if you need to but it has the upside of being able to hit a, a shredder out of phoenix um it's really quite strong into um, sacrifice being able to, to take their witches oven and then also smuggler's copter which i expect to be pretty popular is is two mana so portable hole can grab that as well and you know last but not least portable hole is an artifact so worst case scenario it's giving you another target for gleeful demolition which um i didn't mention in the beginning but saying smuggler's copter made me think of it gleeful is four main deck artifact removal spells that we're already playing to advance our game plan but in a world where smuggler's copter is more important it's nice to be able to sometimes use gleeful as a way to just pop that artifact and and move on all right so i think that brings us through uh the discussion of the deck list and i was gonna try and get into some matchups but we're already running a little bit long for today so i think we're gonna go ahead and cap the discussion there but if you would like to to sort of know more about the deck and the archetype if you have questions about certain matchups i'd be happy to chat about that so feel free to to reach out to me over on twitter uh, at cody Dubose mtg or using the hashtag bolt zone chat and and we can talk there and then for patrons you can also get a hold of us in the both the bird patrons discord server so uh, another benefit there feel free to reach out uh, with any discussion or questions there yeah, so I think that is actually going to do it for today. I want to let you know coming up that we've talked about already, but Nathan and I will both be competing at the regional championship in Atlanta. We're both really looking forward to that and sort of updating after the tournament. Something exciting, we're going to be bringing you a special field trip episode with some help from my fiance. We're going to be doing some on-site interviews with lots of players down in Atlanta, talking about you know different approaches to the tournament and recapping everything that goes down. So we're excited to bring you that content and we'll also have some swag to give away as well so if you see us look for look for the bolt zone look for both the bird shirts um, if you want to be interviewed be sure to come up and say hello and you know we, we'd love to talk to you and, and sort of hear from you and get your insights and how you prepped for the tournament why you're playing what you are that sort of thing and then be able to, to share all those interviews with the community as sort of a snapshot of the regional championship. So we're really excited for that episode. And that'll be coming out uh, again the week after Atlanta. And then also would love to hear what you think about this episode. Um, we don't we don't uh, try to do the solo stuff often. And the audio guide is something new that, again, this week came as sort of a necessity. But let us know if you enjoyed this style of content, uh, if you'd like to see more audio deep dives in the future. And that's definitely something we can consider doing. But until next time, that is going to do it for today's show. Thank you for listening to The Bolt Zone. If you enjoy the show, please give us a follow, leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. We read them all. We love hearing from you. And again, we really appreciate the support. Again, you can get in touch with Nathan and I on Twitter with the hashtag Bolt Zone Chat. And if you want to help support the show, consider subscribing to our Patreon through the link in the show notes or by picking up some merch at boltthebirdmtg.com slash shop. Until next time, we'll see you in Atlanta and get out there and sling some spells.